0: Dear Lord, this is Your day. This is the day that we gather as as the body of Christ, corporately, to honor Your name and to draw close to You and to be equipped as believers, as the family of God, as fellow ministers and servants. And I pray, O Lord, that You would receive much honor as You have already been praised. God, may that continue on even now as we search the Scriptures to learn of You and to seek to be able to live godly lives for You. And so, Father, would You please move in our midst? Would Your Holy Spirit please open our eyes and our hearts that we could hear from You in a very special and fresh and relevant and insightful way? I pray for all of us here, Lord, as the Word goes forth, that we would receive a special word from You and that we would know that we have heard from God this day. For there are many needs, fears, concerns, struggles, hurts. You know them all, God. And You are totally capable of meeting all those needs. And Your Word is absolutely sufficient. And so I pray, God, that You would use Your Word to encourage and challenge and strengthen us today. And all of this to the glory of Your name. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we've been working through a series that I've titled... Pleasing God through holy living. Pleasing God through holy living. That's our goal. Our goal is to live a life that is pleasing to God. We talked about that. And one of the greatest ways in which we can do that is by seeking to live holy lives, right? And by holiness, we started out by trying to define that. We mean living a life that is different. It is to stand out from it is to be set apart from or set apart to. To be distinct or unique. So you have the world that in so many ways is totally counter to God. And we were a part of that world. We were swimming in that stream. And then God called us out of the world. He called us out of darkness. He called us out of our blindness, our spiritual death. He called us into His marvelous light. And that changed everything. It started with changing our hearts, changing our minds, changing our affections, our loyalties, the way that we live, and so now we look very different, we act very different, think, talk differently. <clears throat> that is to be holy, and, and obviously the implication there is purity, righteousness, obedience. That is what it means to live a holy life, and that is pleasing to God. And so it is to be distinct, it is to be different, it is to be separate. And last week, <clears throat> we talked about holiness and sexual morality, you know, um, all of those pagan religions of that day oftentimes were involved in all kinds of grotesque sexual practice, even in their so-called worship. And Paul said, you have come out of that. You must look very different from that. God's people are to be a people who are pure. And that God has set the boundaries. God has given us His design for, uh, for marriage, for sexual relations. It's within those confines. It is blessed in that sense. And so that is, that is uh, the goal of the church, is to maintain purity in that area and then as a result to stand out from the world because it's relentless in the world, is it not? The, the temptations, the pressure, I mean, it's all around us. It's in just the media, every, every outlet that you you've come across, there it is. It's just in the world that we live, in our culture, our society. Everywhere we go, there it is. And so we are to be different. We're to stand out. We're to fight against that and to honor Lord, the Lord in it. We're to be holy. Well, this week, we're going to talk about something a little bit more on a lighter note. We're going to talk about... hell, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're going to talk about brotherly love. Brotherly love. Sisterly love, okay? <clears throat> yeah, something just a bit more happy, a bit more light-hearted this week. I'm grateful for that. But holiness and love nonetheless. We're to be distinct in the way that we love. G- uh, Jesus said in, in John 13, 35, By this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love, love one for another. Jesus said, That's how they're gonna know that you're my followers. It is by your love. It's by your love. So we are to be very distinct. We are to be very holy. We are to be very set apart. We are to really stand out by our love one for another. The church is to be a place where such love exists that, you know, it is just in stark contrast to the world in which we live. There is so much hostility, volatility, animosity, divisiveness in this world in which we live, right? And much of that has made inroads into the church in the last year, unfortunately. But nonetheless, we are to fight to be a place that is holy in love, distinct in love, that we stand out and we are set apart to God in the world regarding how we love one another, such that when people encounter it, they know this is like nothing they've ever seen or experienced before. That's pretty, pretty awesome when you think about that. And so we're going to be encouraged to grow in that love and to share that love more and more. That's in the text that we will be looking at today. And so I'm framing this in community. Community is where this is going to happen. Within the body of Christ, the family of God, this community right here. This is where we need to aim to excel in this more than any other place. You know, my, my grandma... Um, she passed away a couple years ago in South Carolina. She's very dear to me. She was like a mom to me in many ways. And she was one of the most loving uh, women I knew, but man, she was also one of the meanest women that I knew. I mean, my grandma was mean and she was a redneck. And I mean, like where I'm from, look, it's legit. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Uh, But I remember... You know, she always struggled with smoking, and uh, later on in her life, she had a lot of health problems that resulted from it, and every time she'd have to go to the hospital and get some kind of operation, the doctors would give her a hard time, okay, you need to to quit smoking, and her her answer would usually be something like, as soon as you get done preaching, I'm going to pass a collection plate around, you know. (laughs) That's my grandma, you know, and... uh, You know, she was a professing believer. Um, She did profess Christ very early in her life. And, um, you know, towards her very end days, I I became much more sure and and hopeful that it was a legitimate thing, that she really did know the Lord savingly. And so I had that confidence that she is with the Lord today. But you know, throughout all her life, there was one thing that she absolutely refused do, and that was to be in fellowship. I mean, she just would not go to church. Maybe she had a bad experience early in her life. I'm not really sure what the deal is, but she just fought that tooth and nail. And, you know, I remember one time her telling me, we all know the verse where two or more are gathered in my name. Surely there I am in the midst. And so she would have her Joel Osteen book or some kind of like motivational book like that, and she said, that's church for me. This is me gathered with somebody else, and where two or more are gathered, you know, Jesus is in the midst. And that obviously was totally false. That was, that was a wrong interpretation, but that was just a, a really sad application, if you will. And... Um, it's just unfortunate. She had a whole life lost where she did not experience Christian community and the, the brotherhood, the sisterhood of the saints here in this life because that's a real gift. You know, It's a real opportunity to be able to receive the love of Christ and to extend the love of Christ. And she robbed herself of that, a whole lifetime of it. And the reality is there are a lot of people who will go to church, but they still they won't quite get over that line. They'll show up kind of stay to themselves and then leave. And most of us in here don't even know who they are exactly. They're kind of stealth mode. Um, Or maybe we do know and we are able to chat at times, but still it's just kind of hard to get, get over that hump initially to where you're actually developing relationships with people in the body of Christ where you know people legitimately and they know you, right? And so that is the story, I think, more often for folks. In church, they do come to church, and maybe they come regularly, but still somehow they don't quite connect. They aren't engaged in brotherly and sisterly love. So it's my heart that that not be true of our church, that that not be true of myself or anybody else in here. I know that is Paul's heart. I know that is the Lord's heart, and that's really what we're going to see in our text today. Does that make sense? You guys with me? Alright, so with that, why don't we take a look at our text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 9 and 10. Why don't you stand with me while we read God's Word? Verse 9, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. And this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So pleasing God through holy living looks like holiness and brotherly love. Now, I say brotherly love, but that that is brotherly, sisterly. You know, it's, it's all encompassing. I've talked about this before. And so, just to keep it simple, brotherly love, holiness, and brotherly love. So, first off, there's two points in our message today. Verse 9, first point, God has given us all that we need to be loving. We have what we need. We've got the tools. We've got the power. All right? We have all that we need. God has given us everything that we need to be loving. Verse 9 But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So you notice here he says, but concerning. So this is a transitional statement. This is signaling a change in the subject matter. So this is a clear shift. We see these all throughout 1 Corinthians. It's it's very clear. On to the next thing, the next thing. And he talked about sexual purity. Now he's talking about brotherly love. And this word, brotherly love, is actually Philadelphia. Philadelphia. That is the Greek word, and it means a friendly love. Friendly love. Phileo is kind of the, the word uh, more more strictly, and it's it's that that type of love. We we use the word love in English for everything, right? I love my cat. I love ice cream. Love my wife. Love you know. It's like it's it's just interchangeable, and so it's really watered down for that reason. And in the Greek, it's not that way. They have at least three, maybe four different words to describe different kinds of love. And the one that we most often hear is what? Agape. That's right. And we would consider that to be kind of the supreme, self-sacrificial love. That's the kind of love that God has loved us with. And we would oftentimes call it the ultimate love, if you will. But then you will also have this other word that is used very frequently, and it is a friendly love. Now, I don't we ought not minimize it because there's like the ultimate sacrificial love and then the friendly love. I think this kind of love is a very special and unique type of love. And, and we know what it is when you have a very close friendship and there is that affection that is there. I mean, in fact, we all have family members that we probably love to some degree, but we don't, you know, can't hardly stand to be around them, right? I mean, can, can you relate? Well, this is a friendly love towards those who are our family. It's, it's an affectionate kind of a love. It is an emotional, uh, desirous love to be with somebody and to encourage and bless other people and to be blessed by their company. That's, that's the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. And he says, concerning that kind of love, concerning that kind of love, brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. One commentator said that this word for friendly love, Philadelphia, originally referred to affection for blood relatives, but it is always used in the New Testament for Christian affection. I really like this. Another commentator said that this was an expression for attachment to one's blood relatives in secular speech, but it was taken over by Christianity because of the close ties within spiritual family, the spiritual family of God. So we took it over, folks. That it was like a a blood relative type word, phrase in secular speech, but Christians came along and, and we took that word. It became synonymous with the kind of love that we have one for another because we are a family in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in the deepest, most meaningful way. Right? And so we see this word used a number of times, many times throughout the New Testament. And just to share with you a few references where where we see this word kind of uh, played out for us, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing you have unwittingly entertained angels. That's kind of fascinating, huh? Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. So the author, the writer of Hebrews says that we are to let brotherly love, brotherly, sisterly affection continue. And then he applies that to caring for people who are in chains, people who have been uh, arrested in prison for their testimony in Christ because he said we're all one. So if they're incarcerated, we're incarcerated with them, essentially, and we're not to forget them. We're to serve them, bless them, pray for them because we are one. And so brotherly affection ought to abound. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Peter says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren. There it is. He says, Love one another fervently with a pure heart. And so this word for fervently, it means stretched out to the limit. And we are to... We are to have this kind of love for the brethren. We have been purified by the truth. We have been born again by Christ. And now by the Spirit of God, we are to have a sincere love for the brethren and we are to love to the max. We are to love to the limit and beyond. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9, Paul says, Let love be without hypocrisy. This word hypocrisy is an interesting word. It's, it's the word from which we would get hypocrite. And uh, it literally means wearing two, two masks. And the same word would be used in theater when, when a person would play multiple characters and they would have one mask and they would pretend to be one character and then another mask to be another character. That's the word there. That's a hypocrite. And so he's saying don't be two-faced. Don't just play the part. Let love be sincere. Let it be genuine. Let it be without hypocrisy. Then he says, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. We are to be kindly affectionate to one another. We are not to be hypocrites. We're not to be fake. We're not to be two-faced. We are to have genuine, sincere, brotherly love one for another. And then he fleshes that out. He says, in honor, giving preference to one another. We are to be looking out for the needs of others above our own. "...not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality." These are markers of brotherly and sisterly affection in Christ. Praying for one another. Rejoicing for one another. Continuing steadfastly in these things. And then distributing to the needs one of another. And he says this word... Hospitality, it literally means entertaining strangers, loving strangers. And so we are to be a place that is marked by overflowing with brotherly, sisterly love. Amen? That is to be the case. That is to be true of us. And regarding this, Paul says, You have no need that I should write to you. He's saying, This is not new. You already know this because, and I love this. He says, you are taught by God. You are taught by God how to love. That is amazing to me. Now this word, it's theododactos. It's the only time it's found in the New Testament. It literally means God taught. God taught. We are God taught how to love one another. That's really fascinating to me. This is very special. It's unique. It belongs to the Christian alone. Now what does that mean exactly? We are God taught. It could mean a few things. This could mean that we have learned, they had learned from the Old Testament what it means to love, right? In the Old Testament, it says that they were to love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. It also said that they were to love their neighbors as themselves, right? We know this. Jesus pointed back to that. Jesus reaffirmed that to be the greatest command. So it could be that. It could mean that they had been taught by God how to love through the example of Jesus Christ, right? They were recipients of the gospel message. God had moved powerfully in their midst when Paul was there preaching the gospel. As they encountered, as they came face to face with the truth of the gospel, they saw the love of God. They experienced the love of God. And, and where, where better place would we see or know the love of God than in the face of Jesus Christ, His Son? Where are you going to go to see the love of God more vividly than that? Therein is love, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, for the ungodly. God gave His most precious gift to us, sinners, rebels, who had transgressed His holy law, who had, who had rejected Him in every way, yet God sent His Son to pay the penalty that we owed for our rebellion for our sin, for our transgression, for our disobedience. See, that is, that is ultimate self-sacrificial love. That is the love of God demonstrated at the cross of Jesus Christ where He laid down His life. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And then He took our penalty upon Himself there on that cursed tree as God's wrath was poured out on His Son there in our stead. So that now if we were to trust in Christ, place our our hope in Him, to call upon His name for salvation, salvation is ours in Christ. We are forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, future. We are adopted into the family of God because of the work of Jesus on the cross in our place. See, that's the good news. That's the gospel message. And when you encounter that, when that becomes yours, when that becomes your reality, your truth, when that is yours personally, when that becomes your story, that you have received forgiveness through the Gospel and your sins have been personally paid for at the cross, and God is now your Father, then you know the love of God. You are taught the love of God personally and intimately and very vividly. Amen? But I think that honestly, even beyond that, what Paul is talking about here and what commentators seem to agree on is that this is an empowerment to know God's love and to give God's love supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. That is how we have been taught to love. That is how we have been equipped to love. It is through the indwelling of God's Holy Spirit. And Romans 5.5 says that the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So there you have it. There you have it. God's love has been poured out into your heart by the Holy Spirit when you trust Christ unto salvation and you are born again. You are regenerated. You are made alive in Christ and the Spirit of God is in you. The love of God is in you. And now you have all that you need to love others as you have been commanded to love. Isn't that amazing? We have that. We have a unique and God-given ability to love, to love each other, to love God, to love the world. Because God has communicated His love to us, and we can communicate it to others. Now, if you will allow me for just a second, I want to get into some, some kind of a theological stuff here. I like to do that from time to time. And so, when we talk about God's attributes... There are what are are known as incommunicable attributes. That means that He doesn't share those with us. God is all-knowing. He is ever-present. He is all-powerful. He is unchanging. And God cannot uh, share that with us. Does that make sense? Those are things that make God distinctly, uniquely God and sets Him apart from us. But there are things that are true of God that are communicable attributes that He does share with us, like His patience, His love, His kindness, His holiness... And He commands us to walk in those things. He communicate, communicates those things to us, and He commands us to communicate those things to other people. Now, recognizing that, if we understand something of the vastness of God's love, it just boggles the mind. A.W. Tozer, talking about this very thing in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, basically says that, that God's love is informed by all of His attributes. Right? God doesn't suspend one attribute so that he can exercise another one. Like for us, for instance, we might be loving and then you know we kind of something happens at a moment's notice and we get angry and we, we extend wrath. Right? God he doesn't put one away to extend another. He exercises all of his attributes simultaneously. Everything that God has, he is completely. You know, kind of a mind-melting thing to consider, but regarding that, Tozer says, because God is self-existent, that is, He is self-sufficient, He is the uncreated One, He is the uncaused cause, He says His love had no beginning. There was no beginning to the love of God. It has always been. He says because God is eternal, God's love will never end. His love has no end. Because God is infinite, his love has no limit. God's love is limitless. Because God is holy, it is the quintessence of all spotless purity. Because God is immense, that is to say you he cannot contain God. Because He is immense, His love is incomprehensibly vast. God's love is beyond our ability to ever fully understand or even fathom or grasp. We haven't even scratched the surface of this love. Is that amazing? And God has loved us. God has loved us in His Son and the Holy Spirit has been poured out into our hearts through which we have received the love of God and have the ability to share to some degree this amazing love that has been poured out on us through the Holy Spirit, through Christ. Now, we know this. Our love is not a perfect love. Can I get an amen? Our love is not like that love truly, if we're honest with ourselves, and I don't think it's hard for us to be honest with ourselves about this. Oftentimes, our love is tainted and distorted by sin because we are not perfectly holy and pure like God is. And so our love is, is tainted in, in some ways, as I said. We often fail to direct our love to the right people and to the right places. We love the wrong things. We don't love the things that we ought to love the way that we ought to, right? But the reality is, believer, Christian, you have been filled with the Spirit of God. The love of God has been poured out into your hearts. You ought to be like the special forces of loving people, right? I mean, we ought to be the most highly equipped, highly trained, highly effective people that are, are loving one another in Christ and, and the world around us. That's just, that's just truth right there. That's, just, that's Bible truth. And so Paul tells us where we're to direct this love. He says we're to love one another. Now this is the Lord's command. This is the Lord's command. Jesus said this in John 15... As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his own friends. Think about this for a second. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. That's incredible. And then he says, continue in my love. Stay there. Don't... don't Don't run away from it. Keep yourself under the spout where the blessings pour out. Stay close to Christ. Abide in the vine. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Continue in this love. Then he says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Man, is that a tall order? We have been commanded to love others as we have been loved by Christ. Which, By the way, the Father had loved Him. That's the command. And then he qualifies this. He says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for his friends. And so it's the sacrificial love. God sacrificed in order to love us. Didn't he? Christ sacrificed in order to love us. Didn't he? And now he said, we having received this love, we are to sacrifice and love towards one another. We're to be walking in that. We are to be living that out. But you know what? He gave us the power to do it. He didn't just say, now go do it and good luck. No, He didn't do that. He gave us His Holy Spirit. He gave us the Spirit of God to empower us to love like this. And so we are to walk in this within the body of Christ amongst the brethren. So there you have it. We see now what it is. The Scriptures are quite clear, and we have no excuse. We've been given all that we need to be able to do this. So now let's get just a little more practical. Point two, now that we have what we need to love, we need to get in the game and do it. Now that we have what we need to love, as we've been commanded, we need to do it more and more. We need to excel in it. Verse 10 And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So Paul says, everything I've just said, everything that I've told you, you're doing it already. You're already doing this. You have this reputation that goes throughout all the surrounding region here. You and Thessalonica are well known by the rest of the churches in Macedonia for just how loving you are. Just how full of brotherly love you are and how you have loved those. And so it wasn't just a a holy huddle, you understand? They weren't just like, we're just going to hunker down here and we're just going to love each other and forget everybody else. You know, we're the only Christians here. We're not going to love any other Christians around us. You know, we're just our own little world here. We're this, you know, a little monastery unto ourselves where we're just going to isolate. You know, we're just going to be the frozen chosen right? No, we're supposed to be those who love everyone within the church and, our, and surrounding churches and just all throughout the world with the love of Christ. Paul says, in fact, we urge you to do this, brethren. This is a strong word. And the word urge, it is to ask on special footing. It is to ask from a place of intimacy. He's not saying, I command you to do this. And he's not saying, if you get around to it, would you consider it? This is a strong word. of, of um, I think he, he could be appealing to the fact of his own relationship with them. Guys, it's me. It's your pastor. It's Paul. I'm urging you to do this. He could be appealing to the fact that they are Christians. He says, brethren, because of who your Lord is and and the command of the Lord. I'm urging you to do this. He could be appealing to the fact that they are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so based on the relationship that exists between you, this must be happening. You must be increasing in this more and more. I suppose it could be all of that. It could be all of that. But at any rate, this is a, is a, a strong, strong urge here on Paul's behalf. This is not just, uh, you know, if you, if you think about it, if you find a convenient opportunity this week, would you give it a shot? That is not what's happening here. Paul is saying, you've got to do this. I'm urging you, I'm pleading you, I'm begging you in the name of the Lord. And he says that you are to increase more and more. So we are to be growing in our love one for another. We are to excel in it. We are to be excellent I mentioned this at Regen the other night. I had a buddy years ago. Uh, he was 19 years old, and I just thought this guy, man, he really had it together. And um, he didn't have a company, but he had his own business cards. And they said, excellence in all things. And so as he was, you know, kind of connecting with people, that would, I just thought, oh, I always liked that. It wasn't perfection in all things, but it was excellence. We are to be excellent in love. We are to be excelling in it. We are to be growing in our love, abounding, abounding. That is, that is overflowing, just overflowing with love. We're not stingy with our love. We're not loving the wrong things. We are loving each other with everything that we've got. And um, this commentator uh, Dr. Thomas um, says this, More love is always a potentiality for Christians because the ultimate, the example of Christ Himself, is infinite and can only be approached, not fully reached. So we have the potential to always grow in our love because the ultimate example, we can never fully reach that. We can only approach it. So as long as we're on this side of glory, we can always grow. There's always room to grow. We can never say, I have attained. I have arrived. I have achieved the love of God, so now let me work on the wrath of God. All right? We can't do that. We're going to always be working on excelling and growing and practicing the love of God as long as we're here. And Paul said that we are to love one another. We have everything that we need. Now we've got to get in the game and unleash the love of Christ. So you got it in you it's it's in there and some of you it's already it's just it's flowing forth freely like a fountain of living water you know and that's a beautiful thing to see and and some of us maybe not so much it's in there though it's in there if you if you are in Christ and you've been born of God love of God has been poured out in your heart you got to unleash that you got to unleash the torrent and begin to let love Flow and get in the game and start loving other people. And uh, I think this is probably just a fitting place to to put this. Sometimes I think, especially in the culture that we live, we've got to always be doing big things, right? And so we think if we can't do things on the scale that we would want to do it, we just don't do it at all. Does that make sense? Does that, does that resonate with anybody? I would encourage you to do for one person what you wish you could do for a hundred people. You know, what you wish you could do for a thousand people. One person. If everybody in here just decided that they were going to prayerfully you know, pursue one person and seek to get to know them, understand what their needs are, and uh, be genuinely interested in, in listening to the person, and then praying for them, serving them, uh, caring for them, what have you. If everybody in here got in the game and just did that for one person, I mean, could you imagine the spiritual dividends from, from that, right? And so whereas oftentimes we think, well, I should, you know, I really, I really wish I could do this, but I can't. What I have often seen, and this is a strange thing to me, people will say, God has given me this ministry. And they will spend years going after this particular ministry, and it just doesn't seem to be happening, and therefore they totally don't do anything at all. They don't plug into a local church, they don't use their gifts, they aren't serving the Lord, and because they never did get to do this ministry, they they essentially have sidelined themselves for years when they had all this opportunity right in front of them to just get in the game and to love people in the name of Jesus and to be loved. And so my admonishment would be that perhaps what we need to do in one sense is just do for one what we wish we could do for a hundred people, a thousand people. Amen? That's a word for somebody in here for sure. But Paul says that we are to love one another. Now, I've talked about this before. There are many, uh, many times in the New Testament you'll find this phrase, one another, it's one word. It's used about a hundred times, about half of those times it's used to describe how Christians are to interact with each other in the church. So this is a very special phrase, and you will hear people talk about that, are you doing the one another's? Maybe you've heard that. And so, Christian, it's important for you to understand what the one another's are, because this is really a, a snapshot of what Christian love and community looks like. And I'm just going to go over you know, a, a handful of these. I could do many more, but that's a whole other study, but I just want to share some of these with you. Galatians 6.2 says that we are to bear one another's burdens. So we are to strengthen each other. We're to hold each other up. Uh, We are to come alongside and walk with people as they are experiencing immense burdens, hurts, failures, sin, whatever it may be, we are to be a people who are bearing one another's burdens you know we're not all in isolation having to do this on our own we are in community and we're doing it together right that's brotherly love bearing one another's burdens we're to speak the truth to one another Ephesians 4 25 we need to be a people who are willing to speak the truth whether it's a positive happy uplifting thing or whether it's it's a a painful thing but a real friend is going to tell you the truth no matter how much it hurts and Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. And so a friend is going to tell you the truth no matter what, and that is love. We have to know that. That is brotherly and sisterly love, speaking the truth, whether it's positive or whether it's painful, but it's real. First Thessalonians 4.18, uh, 418 we're to comfort one another concerning the Lord's return. We'll be talking about that in a couple of weeks. From time to time, brotherly, sisterly affection means that we're trying to help each other get their eyes off of what's going on right here and where it needs to be fixed on eternity. Fixed on the fact that this is temporary and that Christ is coming back and that is where our hearts and our priorities need to be ultimately. That's brotherly and sisterly affection right there. That's, that's love is helping to recalibrate one another from time to time when when we see that we're getting pretty twisted in in that regard, right? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says that we are to encourage and build one another up. That's build as a construction term. You lay the foundation and then you build upon it. The opposite of that would be tearing down. Now, we've done plenty of tearing down, but the church, the body of Christ, is a place where we ought to be built up it is it's constructive you know we are encouraging one another uh, to to what end that we would grow in Christ mature in Christ and be better equipped to serve Christ more effectively that is brotherly and sisterly love you know that comes through words quite frankly more than anything it comes through words are you using are you using your words i can i kind of laugh when i think of that if you have small children it's like use your words And so, are we using our words? You know, are we encouraging people? Are we building one another up? Are we tearing people down? Are we being divisive? Are we murmuring and complaining? Are we, um, you know, are we using our words to build people up or tear them down? And so, brotherly, sisterly love says that we are to encourage and build one another up. Hebrews 10.24, provoke one another to love and good works. I love this. Have you ever been provoked? I have been provoked, and I have done plenty of provoking in my life. I have incited people to anger. I've been incited to anger. Have you ever provoked somebody to love? Have you ever considered how you could encourage somebody to actually get in the game and be loving? I, I, I mean, that's that's how God redeems things. We know what provocation means. We've done plenty of that in our lives, but how about in Christ provoking people to do good, to love, and to do good works? And that's, that's what's happening right here, right now. This is a very real part of our gathering. We are here on the Lord's day to honor Christ, but we are also here to provoke one another, to incite one another to love and good works, which is exactly what I'm doing right now. And so that is what ought to be happening in the body of Christ, James 5:16 says that we're to pray for one another. We're to pray for one another. That is a great way to love other people. May I pray for you? How might I pray for you? When someone brings a, a a hurt or a concern or a fear to you, hey, let me and then let them know you've been praying for them. Follow through. There are brothers and sisters here who are so faithful at that. I know they love me. They sought me out. They prayed for me and they came back and let me know that they've been praying for me. They've been thinking about me. I was loved by them. James 5.16 also says we're supposed to confess our sins to one another. And I've talked about this before. This doesn't mean that we are going and telling anybody and everybody everything that we've ever done. But this if there's nowhere else in the world ought to be a safe place where we can have a couple of faithful brothers and sisters that we can go to and say, I'm struggling in this area. I have sinned. Would you please pray for me? Would you, would you hold me accountable some, some way? right?" And, and unfortunately, oftentimes within Christian community is the last place people want to go and be honest, be real, be transparent. But my, my hope is that this church will be a church where we can be real. You know, I don't have it all together. That might surprise you. <laughs> uh, it probably doesn't by now. And and I I'm not ever gonna put on this persona like I, my my cape is fluttering in the wind as I stand up here and you know present myself as the standard. And you're not either, okay, and none of us in here are trying to be that. And so brotherly and sisterly affection is having the ability to be real with each other, to be vulnerable with each other to confess our struggles and our needs, and to pray for one another. That's, that's just good practical affection, brotherly and sisterly love. We are to be hospitable to one another, 1 Peter 4, 9. I talked about that word already. It means to, to love strangers. And so that means we're to go out of our way to seek out the people that we don't know and to make them no longer feel like strangers. If we are a church that is truly loving people with hospitality, there's not going to be any strangers in here for long. They're going to come in a stranger, and my hope is within five minutes they are not a stranger anymore. That's what hospitality does. Hospitality says, I want to serve you. I want to make you feel comfortable. I want to make you feel welcomed and loved. That's hospitality. There are many ways in which we can do that, and that's to be true of us. Galatians 5.13, we're to serve one another. Romans 15, 7, we're to receive one another. And that is to open your heart and to open your arms. The body of Christ ought to be a place where you are welcomed in, where you are received, where you are loved no matter what, no matter what. And then forgiving one another, Ephesians 4, 32. There needs to be a whole lot of forgiveness happening. That's just, it's implied that as long as we're in community together, we're going to be offending one another. It just comes with it. And so we need not be like, you know what? That church is full of hypocrites, and I'm never going back. That's not, that's not how that works. It's no, we're going to offend each other. We're going to step on each other's toes. When you move in with somebody, you know, when you get married, you figure that out really quickly. That's a game changer, right? When you're in somebody else's space, stuff changes radically. And so the same is true. When we get in each other's lives, it's a game changer, you know, it's a space changer. Things, things shift. Eventually, we're going to step on someone's foot. We're going to say something offensive. We're going to be maybe, uh, you know, careless with our words and inconsiderate. And, and These things are going to happen. This has to be a place where forgiveness abounds. That is how you love people. Somebody in here needs to extend some forgiveness. That's how you're going to love somebody. Somebody in here needs to receive forgiveness. You need to be forgiven. And so you will feel loved when that happens. And so that's just a very real part of brotherly and sisterly love, and it ought to abound, forgiveness. So these are just a handful. There are more, but I think you get the point. And what I want to say about all of these is is that really the best and only way that we can experience these is in community. How are you going to do these things if you are not plugged in? How are you going to do these things if you are not in the body of Christ, having relationships develop, getting to know people, interacting with one another? How are you going to do any of these things? And so that's why community is so important. And so at this point, I just want to give a little plug for our life groups. That is a very real way in which we intend to do this better is through these life groups that we've been talking about. We believe here at Calvary Napa that God's people gather. Amen? We gather together not out of just some kind of obligation, but because we love each other. Because we understand the beauty of family. Because we desire to experience the fullness of God's blessing. And because we uh, we desire to be used by God to be a blessing. And so that's all a part of gathering together. And while this happens on Sunday morning in a very real way, and it's, we prioritize that. It happens in a number of other ways. And if we are a church that takes seriously gathering together with the saints, if we believe that God's people gather, then we can do it in a more targeted and effective way, and that is through life groups. And so there's a sign-up out there in the foyer. Here's an application for you. You like applications? There you go. Go out there and sign that. Sign that sign-up sheet. Look, the, the, the goal is we'll have a handful of groups, 10 to 12 people where we gather once weekly in someone's home. There will be a host house, somebody who has the gift of hospitality and they want to open their home up and bless people. There's going to be a pastor and a deacon present in each group. There will be a group leader with an apprentice present so that there's training happening and so someone's learning how to facilitate a group with the hope that as these groups grow, and they will that that apprentice can go out and launch their own group. And this is a place where we can invite neighbors and friends who may not necessarily come to church, uh, but they will come into your home. And so this is evangelistic, and it's a place where people can use their gifts to serve one another. It's a place of friendship, rich and meaningful study, prayer, encouragement, loving one another. It's what it is. And we all want to be a part of something. You know, We know this. We all want to be connected. We all want to be included. We want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. We want to contribute to something bigger than ourselves. And this is just a great way to do it. If you want to be obedient to the Word of God, if you want to be obedient to the commands of Christ, and I know you do because you have the Spirit of God in you, then this is a great way for us to get in the game and just take a first step towards abounding in love more and more one for another as we have been loved in Christ. Amen? Amen. There's so much more that I could say about the groups. There's a lot more to it than just that. There's a lot to come. Um, But believe me when I tell you, you won't regret it. You'll be so glad that you did. Perhaps you'll experience a whole new level of Christianity that you've never known before. By plugging into a group like this and experiencing the love of Christ through the body of Christ and being a part of extending that as well. You know, one of the greatest gifts God has given us is each other. Did you know that? One of the greatest gifts that God has given us outside of His own Son is each other. If you are in Christ, then God has given you a heart to be in community. You know this. If you aren't, you are not complete and you're depriving the body of Christ. I know it's awkward. It's awkward, but we have to step out in faith, and God will reward that. If you'll take that step, and you will put yourself in community, and get past, give it some time. Get past that awkwardness. When you start to have friendships, I love it when I see this happen in our church. People come in. They're really reserved at first. They kind of feel like they don't fit. And then all of a sudden they push through and then you see a friendship develop somewhere and then multiple friendships and then they come to life. And this is their family and they have friends where that friendly affection, affection is happening fully and you just see what God is doing. It's glorious. And I want that for all of us. I want that for all of us. And I believe that's one very rich way that it can happen. So like I said, if you want to excel in brotherly love, then a great Way to start is through small groups, and please go sign up today. Just take that first step, put your name on that piece of paper, and we will shepherd you through the process. We will get you plugged in. We will get you, as the elders of this church, really where God would have you be in the body of Christ. Now, on that topic of community, we're going to now transition over to the Lord's Supper. And so, in just a couple of moments, I'll have the, the um, team come up and lead us, but just a couple of thoughts. Now, we've been talking about community, community, loving one another in the body of Christ. We're going to be having a sweet time after the service of community as we break bread together. But this right now, this right now is a very significant and special way in which we engage in community and worship to Christ. It's very special, it's very unique. Jesus himself gave us this gift. He gave us this command. He gave us this sacrament, the Lord's Supper. Now, the word even the word communion that we call it is attached to another word that we often talk about, the word fellowship. And what is fellowship? It's two fellows in a ship. <laughs> it's it's being connected. It's being in community. It's It's rendered several other ways. Fellowship is called partnership. Same word. When we partner together in a a cause, that's fellowship. That's communion. That's koinonia. That's the Greek word. Participation. When we participate together in community. Same word. The word common, same thing. Comes from that same word. Communion, common. It's because we all have something in common. The word coin actually comes from that same word, koinonia, because it is the common currency. It's the, the money that we all use and spend. right? And so that's the idea here. There's, there's something that we all share in common, and it is Jesus. We have all partaken of the sacrifice of Christ. That one perfect life that was sacrificed there on Calvary's cross poured out, that life poured out to the death for us. That is ours. And so though we are all many, we are separate. At the same time, we are one. We are one family, one body in, in Christ, and we have partaken of the same sacrifice. And every time that we come together and we celebrate the Lord's Supper and we remember afresh what Christ has done for us, we do it as a community. We do this as a family of Christ. We celebrate the good news of Jesus. We celebrate what Christ has done on our behalf. We celebrate that we are a part of that corporately, that we are united together in Jesus Christ. We are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, and we are members of His body. And that is a very real part of why we celebrate the Lord's Supper together as we do. So today, as we share in the Lord's Supper, let's be mindful that we are celebrating as one. Oftentimes, I'll emphasize that there's a place for confessing our sin, and there is. It's a time to reflect and recalibrate and remember what Christ has done for us and the holy calling that He has called us to. So it is a time of confession. It's a time of celebration. And it's a time of... of as a community remembering what Christ has done together and so today as we partake together I want it to be all of that for sure and if you're not a part of the body of Christ if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior I would encourage you not to partake because this is for the Christian and is a gift from Jesus to his church but if you don't know Christ you can know him You can call upon His name right now. You can trust Him for salvation. You can be a part of this body, a part of this family. You can receive this love that I've been talking about. You can extend this love. And what better place and time to start than right here, right now, before the Lord's table. Amen? Lord Jesus, we love You. We thank You for the fellowship of the saints. We thank You for community. We thank You for the way that You have loved us and qualified us, empowered us to love others. I pray, God, that You help us to do that. And I thank You for the gift of communion, the Lord's Supper that You have given to us as a way to remember afresh the glories of Calvary and to uh, reset our hearts upon You once again, Jesus. And I pray that this would be a time of worship, celebration, of community and of repentance. And we bless your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.